Dead Belt. True Tales of the Gasman Frontier is a space folk horror anthology podcast, and thus may include material not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Two hulls. Want to keep the Atmo in, want to keep the dark out. That's the way. Just like it was when we were diving into the dark depths of the ocean's fastness, our first steps into a hungry dark, utterly alien and untrod by our callow human feet. Just like then, the smallest flaw, the tiniest crack, will turn the fruit of our engineering genius from tower to tomb in heartbeats. Two holes. One to fit your world inside, one to hold the hunger outside. It's a soap bubble nanocarbon and alloy between you and a bad death. Is it any wonder we have so many little rituals, superstitions, and stories about them? Can't trust anything so implicitly and not get nigh religious with it, can you? Never name a bird after a battle, because she might get a taste for blood. Always apologize when you run a manual override, else she might think you don't trust her. See that she's fueled up before you sidle off to the bars when you make port, because she's like to get jealous if you see to your own comfort before hers. And you never take her name in vain. She's all that stands between you and vacuum. She is the way, the truth, and the life. And so tell me, Belter, adrift in this wide and hostile sea, that she ain't God. And just you remember, she's listening. The Catchfire Queen come off the line about 30 years ago. She wasn't called Catchfire Queen then, of course. Her factory designation was AAF-11D, Alliance Aerospace Freighter Class 11 Delta. Aphid, if you wanted to use the spacer's handle for her. Named after a little sapsucker bug, a copious dispersal, the kind that can tell the ship into the wind and move from cash crop to woody cover and outlast every attempt to shake her off. Cold or predator or chemical pesticide. Don't matter. Aphids are tough. And they are everywhere. Her birth wasn't remarkable. There were a thousand aphids rolled off the Alliance Arrow assembly line, spot welded and space worthy under the hands of techs at the double alpha yards. But none of them got legends. None of them saw what the queen saw. None of them were blazoned and anointed like the queen. None of them burnt and rose again. Just the queen. I'm getting ahead of myself. Ships and ghosts, you know. You gotta pace yourself for ships and ghosts, or else you're gonna find yourself giving away the best parts before you even mean to. So let's start where it really started. By the light of a centerline console, just north of throttle and the G-force that nails your heart to your spine, Aphids are freighters, born and blazoned and bred, but that Delta at the end is for Delta Victor. Two Starliner 99s on outrigger nacelles aft of her centerline, eating reaction mass with butterfly bites and throwing blue hellfire to the rear, an aphid is born to run. And she could haul cargo, 
but it'd be like lashing the crate to the back of a thoroughbred. Like, it'll carry it, but there's better you could be doing by a natural sprinter. You get an aphid, and you can afford an Alliance Aerospace. You take courier jobs. Time sensitive. Kind of pay you a small mint to transport a letter or a briefcase. Some unassuming lock crate. And that's what she was doing, that aphid. She wasn't called aphid anymore. Under the hand of the gal with her hand on the throttle, Allie Sims, the flight plan of the fast burn courier was calling her Catch Fire Queen. And as she burnt rimward from the shining midst of the core worlds, back homeward, out here toward the edge of nothing across a wake of bad blood and festering tension, as she rolled up the throttle and pressed Allie Sims into the command couch with a full four G's cruising, she looked every bit deserving of that name. She was a regal titan, throwing actinide fire like a dart soaked in kerosene and hurled with steely-eyed precision. It had been a weird job from the word go. Now, Allie Sims wasn't opposed to weird jobs, you understand, because they tended to pay better than the normal kind, but as she chewed her lip and consulted the green board that had begun to flash red, it was probably thoughts a nice, safe, legal document fairy that were playing behind her eyes. Dozen single-use slates with biometric encryption and cash-on-delivery sitting in a bin in the aft hold. They wouldn't throw warnings. They'd sit in their cradles and never once ping the motion alarms. The man who paid her requisite half up front had worn a crisp suit. Tailored, pressed, still hang sharp enough to cut you, and even under one-third spin grab. And he wielded a credit swipe that could pay you enough to apologize even after he did it. It was a perfect gig for a quick zipper like the Catchfire Queen. Just a single lonesome secure crate from BNS. And that's Bright and Sturmwell Consolidated Mechanistics. Brought out to nine. A BNS science vessel would be there to take delivery. Allie, in the rented privacy cubicle at the back of the restaurant on Teasdale Station, whose fare she couldn't really afford, had questions aplenty. BNS had the makings of their very own navy, all the money they made in the railroad expansion. Messrs. Bright and Sturmwell wouldn't contract with someone like her. Single pilot operation with a fast ship and a coreward registration is more than a little out of date. Not unless there was an angle to play. Which there was, of course. But the rip had flashed a winning smile and tapped the black glass cred swipe and the gold leaf BNS logo with one ingratiating finger. And thought all that cred rolling into her account was enough to tramp down the buzz. It was just one crate. It was a quick trip. Any angle BNS is working is none of her business. The path to hell, they say, is paved with good intentions, but they don't have that one exact, do they? Sometimes, and not just sometimes, it's cobbled over with cold, hard cash. So Allie had met the viro-suited BNS dockers who'd come to load the crate aboard at the Teasdale dock at shift change. There were two of them behind mirrored visors that they refused to lift. They'd confirmed her ident, asking questions about flight schedule and route and clipped monotones, compressed, tinny, as it issued from the suit speakers, mounted on their chests beneath the BNS logo. When it was clear that she was who she claimed to be, they produced the payload. Little crate didn't look heavy, but they loaded it into the Queen's cargo bay together, slung between their fists in a vac-rated case with an electronic fob reader, double biometric seal, even an honest-to-goodness steel padlock holding it shut. 
They settled the crate amidships in the cargo bay, well away from the pressure hull, and engaged the magnetic grapples on the underside. It bit against the hull like the ringing of a gong. Bam. One of the virus who was presented a data slate from a cargo pocket and had Allie Sims press her thumb against the reader to confirm receipt. They didn't wish her well. Didn't even offer a word of farewell. Suits. <laughs> Whether tailored or evaporated, they're flying company colors. You can bet the last cred on the account that's not personal. Business out here don't allow that kind of latitude. In an hour, Allie had slung herself into the crash couch, filed her flight path, and lit out from Teasdale. In a day, she'd hit the Teasdale railhead and the starless void of slip space beyond. And about a week on the rail had seen her out to the edges of settled space and the blinking light on her green board. Something was moving around in the cargo compartment. She flicked a switch on the command console, calling up the vid feed from back aft and only got the gray-green fuzz of a malfunctioning cam. Something had jostled loose in the transition between slip and real space and clutched up her cam. It happened. You transit the rails and some of the rules of relativity get told to sit down in a corner and color until you got where you're going. Some of the bits that rely on those rules get a little hanky. Same reason why the magnetic grapples on the crate had given way and it was on the float back there causing that flashing red. The flashing red that had her throat tightening. Those two viro suits and the bespoke rep had done nothing to make her feel at her ease anyhow. She was shook and off her game. But that was no way to earn a living. She reached down for the latch on the five-point harness that held her into her crash couch. She'd go aft, make sure everything was good, flip the switches on those grapples, smack the cam a little bit, and get back to getting wealthy. The Catch Fire Queen's deck plan was small. Single-seat flight deck, room for six berths, which Allie had never fitted for crew, an engineering bay jammed with the necessities for making necessary repairs should the workings cogitating with army ant efficiency behind the kickout panels and pressurized hatches suddenly seize up or slip crossways. The struts, which house the feed cables and scrubbers for those massive Starliner 99s, those over-engineered swivel-mounted directional thrusts, beautiful triumphs of astronautical engineering over the tyranny of physics, met at the collar, which connected the fore section, the crew section, to the cargo space. This narrow collar, filled and cramped by the workings of the actuators and servos, the reaction mass vessels, central computing array, was the wasp waist which connected the head of the Catchfire Queen to the abdomen of her payload, making her look more like a hornet than an aphid. Allie would squeeze between the various workings in one-third G, just enough to keep from floating, and go aft to check that unassuming box that the BNS had paid her half of a small fortune to carry out to the raggedy edge. Simple, right? Yeah, sure. Allie got up, cycled the hatch, and went aft. Crossing the gantry walk, past the crew berths, descending through the racked and regimented spares and bits of the machine shop, she made her way to the hatch, which led to the queen's waist. And she felt the hum. Deep down in her molders first, then when she knew what to look for, the long bones and thigh and upper arm. She pressed her hand against the hatch, felt her skin prickle with a sensation. Not the thrum of the engines, something in a higher key, just shy of a buzz. Every fluorescent light on Teasdale just out of sync and flickering. 
the half-static of a dead screen in an empty room magnified beyond comprehension. The throb of a hive just starting to wake up after a long winter. Allie Sims knew something had gone bad wrong. But the thing about bad wrong in space, you can't really just let it bide. You're stuck in a bubble with it. And if you mean to keep that bubble from popping, well, you don't have a lot of room to dawdle. Allie was a spacer born and knew that down in her bones, she cycled the hatch. The waist of the Catchfire Queen, all its struts and cabling, was not as she had left it. The overhead lights didn't come on as she entered. Only the phosphor strips on the deck and the cathode blue of the central computing array illuminated the area. Something about the quiet clicks and pings of the Starliner 99s as they vectored thrust and kept her on course had taken on a sharper, more threatening tone. Even the thrum of the engines themselves, a sound that had always been like home for Allie. Never failed to set her at her ease on long voyages. But now, it was like the throaty growl of something lurking just outside the range of her vision. The buzz was louder here, she realized. That was all. She walked across the waist with careful, tentative steps back toward the cargo bay door. She spared a moment's glance toward the computing array. The input screen was on, throwing most of the half-light in the compartment. Now... Input control should have been slated to the front console with this phase of her flight, but here it was, on and active. Code was spooling across the comp's input screen with the increasing buzz, sound that was more and more feeling like it was emanating from within her own skull. The words swam in front of her eyes as if she were dreaming. She paused long enough to wipe at her eyes and squint, trying to discern even a word of the unfamiliar codes that the comp was throwing, but... Her attention was pulled toward the aft hatch and the bulge at its base. The STD Mark III shouldn't bulge like that. Not as a general rule. It was rated to seal off hull breach and sudden catastrophic pressure drops alike. A plaz torch and some patience would get you through one, sure, but even the knuckle draggers dockside typically cut around the hatches rather than through. The bulkheads proved less a pain in the ass when it came to cut one out. Whatever had bowed out the hatch, well, Allie couldn't fathom. She was transporting a single locked case. It hadn't even been heavy. But Allie checked her hat, making sure the seals on her viro suit were good before she opened the hatch. The green board hadn't shown a loss of pressure, but it'd be a bad time to realize that the pressure sensors were borked when she was riding hard vacuum out through a sucker hole and feeling her blood boil. The reassuring whine of her O2 bottle pressurizing her suit was enough to get her hand on the hatch controls. It was not a smooth motion as the door irised open. It got about three quarters of the way before the door stopped and the green light poured over Allie Sims. Buttoned up as she was, the cams didn't catch her final words. Those had to be pulled from the voice recorder in the central computing core which is all that remained of Dally Sims and the Catchfire Queen when the BNS science ship arrived on station. Allie kept a sterile cockpit when she was on the clock. All of her notes in the log were tight and crisp. Setting burn, 4Gs, heading to 21 Mark 270 by 30. 
course laid in and rolling. Which is why her last words, dreamy and utterly bereft of even the faintest change of nerves, still kind of send a shiver up my spine when I think of them. Warm. Safe. She was there one moment. Then in the next frame, she was just gone. BNS came to the side of the Catchfire Queen's automated distress beacon and found the computing array adrift at the rendezvous point. They claimed corporate salvage, because of course they did, and took the Corps on board and began the arduous task of figuring out what had happened to the property that they had paid Allie Sims to transport, that locked case which had been her final payload. The array was in bad shape. Not just the patina of carbon scoring which bespoke a fire, and a bad one, but also pitting. Scrapes and dings, which are worse than a simple jettison procedure might have wanted on the way out. If the tech squinted, they almost looked like bite patterns. Like something had been doing their level best to eat the thing. With the core dumped into their own databanks, they scrubbed through the video playback and tried to make heads or tails. When that raised more questions than answers, they started interrogating the bevy of internal sensors and electronic monitoring suites looking for the fault that led to the Catch Fire Queen's end. It was a junior tech working late in hopes of impressing the Whigs back forward who found the loose thread and started pulling. The access point and the delicate cards and splines which had been the central nerve stem of the Catch Fire Queen's internal network had been reduced to a lump of silicaceous slag. It had been chalked up to the fiery death of the now grimly prophetically named Catch Fire Queen, but this tech, Marco Prang, pulled the logs for network access and found 16 trillion queries, which had inundated the core just moments before Allie got up to go out to check on the payload. Now let me say that again. 16 trillion. Prosecuted in less than a fraction of a second. <laughs> yeah, well, there's your problem. Logs indicate that the Queen's onboard computer was attempting to tight beam back to BNS to authenticate all these queries at once, and the return code was flagged with the personal ident key of the man, Sturmwell. That happened right as Allie was opening that aft bulkhead, it seems. Marco passed his findings up the chain, and I hesitate to speculate what kind of trouble might have filtered on down to the dutiful tech had there not been bigger fish to fry because the Catchfire Queen didn't stay missing. But of course, you know that. You've heard the stories. We all do. We whisper them in the dockside bars, and we hassle the blues who still got grab-induced cyanosis from their long-term burn out here to the raggedy edge, telling them best keep a weather eye on that scanner. Look for that silhouette. We point to the shadowy edges of Nebula, where they burn bright. I wonder if that's the queen drifting through the expanse, aflame and frightful. A harbinger of deals too good to be true and endings maybe a little less just than they deserve. She appears, you see, emerging from a patch of static in the EM scanner, fully formed, looming out of the nothing, that wasp way silhouette just suddenly there and the Vizrecki database scrambling to put a name to what it's seeing. It comes up aphid usually, but not always. That's alright. She'll self-identify. 
The blast of static and hiss she throws across every freak your system can pan across sounds like noise, you understand. But as you recall that BNS paid the first belter to record it and sent it back to HQ a small fortune for that noise. Provided, of course, the belter deleted the original files and never spoke of it again. Because the queen, in just squawking wounded or distress, it's just that without that central computer core, she can't do much more than use the tools she was given. It didn't get a chance. 16 trillion authentication requests and BNS realized that whatever it was that they had cooked up wasn't quite cooked through, despite their best attempts. Catch fire just wouldn't catch fire. Whatever it is still crewing the Catch Fire Queen doesn't quite understand how we communicate. But it's doing its best. Proximal Vessel, are you going home? We want to go home now. Please take us somewhere warm. Somewhere safe. Proximal Vessel, we are attempting boarding. Catch. Fire. That was a long period of radio silence, and I do apologize for it. Hopefully you've been being good, or at least being good at it, while old Chariot's been calm blackout, trying to get some matters nearer to home alright. And hopefully a little story about the Catchfire Queen, our very own flying Dutchman of the Belt, was enough to make the waiting worth it. We ain't seen the last of her. And that's the honest and truthful. But same as we ain't heard the last of Arnie Hutchins' rescue party. I get to tell you about how those stories intertwine here soon. And <laughs> that's a doozy. You're not going to want to miss it. But first, we're going to get a little story, a little nearer and dearer to old Chariot's heart. See, I'm a sucker for a good ghost story, and I just got a good one from Dog Burl down at the canteen. But that's next time. Thank you so much for listening to Dead Belt, True Tales of the Gaspin Frontier. If you enjoyed this production, we would certainly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. If you want more Dead Belt, please feel free to show your support and check out Dead Belt, a solo tabletop role-playing game by A Couple of Drakes. You can check that out at acoupleofdrakes.itch.io. If you've gotten it, played it, maybe died in space a time or two, we appreciate ratings and reviews of the game as well. Those things really help us get in front of the eyes and ears of more folks. That's essential for keeping our content flowing. Dead belts growing. So too must we. That's all for now, Belters. Cherry it out. <laughs>